Greetings, I'm Hondo, and this is the very first episode of the Hondo FM podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about how to record bass at home. Uh, Before we get started, though, I just have a couple of caveats. Uh, Everything I'm talking about here is going to be just my opinion. I'm not claiming to be an authority at all. Uh, I've been playing for around 21 years, and I play professionally in the sense that I get paid to play, but I'm not a full-time musician. Uh, Also, I just want to make sure that I explain all the important parts of this process to everybody at all different knowledge levels. So I'm going to include some things that are probably basic to a lot of you, uh, but I'll include chapter markers so you can skip around to whatever you want to hear. So now that we got that out of the way, let's get into it. So basically, there are two ways for you to get your bass uh, into the computer. You can mic up a cabinet with an amp, or you can record direct, which just means your signal goes directly into the computer without the need of using an amp or a cabinet. And if you want to record with a cabinet, then you're going to need to turn it up quite a bit so that your signal isn't noisy. And most people don't have that option since neighbors don't tend to like bass a lot. (laughs) So I'm going to uh, not focus on that too much and just focus on direct recording. But if you're really interested in uh, some tips and tricks and whatnot on recording bass with uh, a mic and a cabinet, let me know because I'd be glad to do a whole other podcast episode on that. That's a fun topic. So now, uh, starting with the very first thing is your bass. So if you're gonna start to record some tracks, make sure you have your bass set up well so you don't have any unintentional buzzing or any intonation issues. Because if you record and you have those issues, that stuff is a nightmare to deal with and it's basically impossible to fix after the fact. If you've never done a setup before though, uh, I recommend you taking it to a tech that knows what they're doing since it is possible for you to jack up your bass pretty bad if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, There's a thing in there called a truss rod which basically controls the bend in the neck and if you adjust that too far in either direction sometimes you can like strip it or break it and you definitely don't want to do that because that can be a very expensive thing to fix. Uh, But checking your intonation and fixing your intonation is super simple. Uh, All you have to do is play an open string and then play a note at the 12th fret. And then if those two things are in tune with each other, then you're good. Uh, Now, if the note at the 12th fret is sharp or flat, then that means you need to make an adjustment. Uh, And I'll include a link from uh, Marcelo Feldman. He did a really cool, simple video on how to adjust your intonation. Um, And you can't really damage your bass doing that. So anybody can do that at home. It's really easy. So if you're playing a bass with flats or uh, tape wound strings, your string age doesn't really matter a ton. Those probably actually sound better after you played them for a while. But if you're using rounds, then I really recommend you putting on some new strings and playing with them for like maybe an hour or two before you start to record. And playing with brand new strings tends to... uh, cause you to have a little bit of tuning problems in the beginning and that's why I say to play it for a couple of hours first. Um, If you don't do that you might notice that while you're playing your notes will start to go flat really fast which can be really irritating Um, and sometimes you might not notice until it's too late and you already recorded the track or sometimes you'll notice while you're in the middle of a good take which can be very demoralizing on a recording session uh, or if you're trying to get an idea down. Uh, And speaking of tuning, it's a really good idea to keep a tuner around while you're tracking uh, and to tune up every like maybe three or four takes just to be safe. 
Um, you can get a clip-on tuner, one of the little ones that go on the top of your headstock, and they tend to do pretty well. Uh, they only tend to have problems, in my experience, when you are using a five-string bass or maybe you're tuned um, like below standard. They tend to struggle with that a little bit. Uh, so if you are doing that, if you're playing a five-string and you're playing lower than a standard tuning, then I recommend getting an actual pedal. And I'll put links to some of my favorites, uh, both the clip tuners and the pedal tuners in the description so you can check those out. The next thing you're going to want to worry about is your cables. Uh, what cables you need depend on how you're recording. So if you're recording straight from your bass and your computer, it's really simple. You just need a quarter inch TS cable. And that's the same type of cable that you would use running from your bass into your amp. Uh, you don't want to use a TRS cable though, um, and I'll put a graphic on the screen so you can see the difference, but the easiest way to tell is by the little lines on the barrel. If there's one line, then that just means it's a TS cable, that's the one you want because it's the tip and the sleeve. And then if there's two lines on there, that's a TRS cable because there's a tip and then a little ring and then the rest of the sleeve. Um, you don't want to use TRS cables for uh, recording your bass, that's not what they're really designed for. Uh, if you're recording straight out of the DI out of your amp, then you're most likely going to need an XLR cable. Those are really easy. Just Google XLR cable. You can't really go wrong with those. Um, either way, no matter what kind of cable you get, uh, I would not recommend using the absolute cheapest cable you could find uh, because those will tend to die pretty quickly and they don't stand up to wear and tear. So if you're doing anything more than uh, using it in the studio, you know, they might die within a couple of months. Um, and people say more expensive cables are better uh, because they sound better, which is true to a degree. Uh, but more importantly, they're more durable and they'll stay in good condi condition much longer and they'll save you money in the long run, most likely, because you will probably not have to replace them very frequently. Um, and this is one area where the buy cheap, buy twice thing is true. And odds are you end up buying way more than twice. So one of the next pieces of the puzzle is the audio interface. Uh, this is where things start to get interesting. So when you want to record an instrument into a computer, you're going to need an audio interface. And to keep it simple, what an audio interface does is it takes an analog signal, like what comes out of a bass or a guitar, uh, and it turns it into digital information that your computer can work with. And that process is called analog to digital conversion. The interface also has to do that in the opposite direction and turn the digital information back into analog so it can be played through your headphones or through speakers. And there are dozens and dozens of different types of interfaces out there from a bunch of different manufacturers. And they all have pros and cons and they all have uh, different levels of price and quality. But in my opinion, uh, if you're just starting out recording your bass, you don't really need anything crazy expensive. Um, there are five things that I would recommend you take a look at. Uh, whether or not the inter interface has a high Z input, uh, the connection type of the interface, uh, what the power requirement is, uh, the direct monitoring ability, and some characteristics about it for the near future. And I know that last one sounds weird, but just bear with me. So the first one, a high Z input, and that's just an input that lets you plug an instrument straight into the interface without the need of using a DI or anything else. Um, if you don't have an amp or a DI box, or you want to use amp sims as your main source of tone shaping, having a high Z input is really good. It's very convenient. 
And most interfaces have some type of high Z input, but some don't. So if you do want that option, make sure you keep an eye out for that in the specs list of whatever interface you're looking at. And all these different interfaces need a way to interface <laughs> with the computer. Um, and that's where the connections come in. So there's three different types of connectors that are really popular right now. Uh, USB-A, USB-C, and um, Thunderbolt. Uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt are the tricky ones because they look exactly the same, but they don't function the same way. If you're using a computer with a USB-C port, then you can only use a USB-C interface. You can't use a Thunderbolt interface. But if you're using a computer with a Thunderbolt interface, you can use Thunderbolt and USB-C. So it's kind of like a squares and rectangles things. Um, most of the newer Macs, I believe, are Thunderbolt enabled, but not a lot of PCs are Thunderbolt enabled. So if you're not sure about whether or not your computer supports Thunderbolt and you can't find out for certain, uh, USB-C is a safer bet. And then for the next topic in regards to the power on the interface, most interfaces require you to plug them in to a wall, uh, which isn't a huge deal if you're typically working out of the same spot all the time. But if you're the type of person that uses a laptop and really likes to stay like untethered and mobile, then that might be annoying to you. Uh, there are some interfaces out there though that can run without a separate power supply. And what that's called is being bus powered. So that's what to look for in the specs if you want to stay as mobile as possible. Uh, that said, I have seen some interfaces that are bus powered, but they lose some of their features, um, like 48 volt phantom power. Um, but that isn't an issue if you're running direct, but it can be if you're using certain mics or active DI boxes. Um, so just make sure you're taking a look at the specs to see if the uh, USB, running bus powered um, takes away any of the features. So this one's really important. Uh, if you're gonna record yourself playing, the most important thing you need to make sure you can do is to hear yourself. Um, but depending on how powerful your computer is or how many tracks that you have running at the same time, um, or if you have any effects on, uh, your computer might have some trouble taking in the signal from the base, processing it and spitting it back out in time for you to hear it. And when that happens, that's what's called latency, if you've ever heard that term before, which means you hear what you played, but way after you played it. And there's always a little bit of latency. For instance, there's latency even when you're playing live. If you're standing, you know, 20 feet away from your cab or so, you play a note, there's latency in between when you play that note and when you hear it come out of the cabinet. So some latency is not a problem, but when it starts to get longer, then you won't be able to play properly. Uh, this is where the direct monitoring comes in. Interfaces that have the ability to do direct monitoring means you can listen directly to what you're playing rather than have to wait for the signal to go through the computer and then come back out. Um, so essentially you end up being able to play with the least amount of latency possible. And I'm a huge fan of this and I think it's really, really important, especially given that uh, bass is you know an integral part of the rhythm section. So your timing is really important. Um, I recommend uh, getting an interface with direct monitoring to everybody. And then one of the last things to consider is what you might want to do in the near future. If you're just going to be recording yourself for practice, 
purposes, which I highly recommend. You really don't need a lot of features or really good sound quality or anything. Uh, but if you're thinking you might want to get into producing your own songs and mixing, then you might want to take a look at some of the higher end interfaces because they'll give you a better feature set for routing and monitoring. Uh, but more importantly, they'll let you record better sound and give you more accurate sound coming back out of your speakers or your headphones. Mixing and production are topics for an entirely different podcast. Those are biggies. Uh, but the main takeaway is that you want really good conversion and really good headphone amps if you're going to be making or engineering music, and you'll get both of those with the higher end interfaces. And I'll drop a link in the description with a chart of interfaces, and I'll try and throw it up on screen. Um, the chart of interfaces that I recommend and which features each one of them have out of that five that I talked about. So you have a good start in place to figure out what interface might work the best for you. And you'll notice in the chart that I have not included iRigs. Um, and I've personally had a poor experience or many poor experiences with iRig stuff uh, with them either breaking or being difficult to get them to work consistently. Um, but I've also heard of several other people who have had solid experiences with them. Uh, so since I've had bad experiences with them personally, I can't really recommend them in good conscience, uh, but they might be a good option for you if you want to save some money or if you want to record directly into an iOS or Mac device. Um, and the people that I know that have had good experiences with the, with the iRig stuff have all been Mac or iOS users. Uh, so do with that information what you will. Before we tackle the next couple of topics, uh, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. One last thing that you're going to need to record is a DAW. And a DAW stands for Digital Audio Workstation. And it's basically the thing that's communicating with your audio interface and recording the digital audio. Uh, there are a good amount of options out there for DAWs and which one you should choose will essentially come down to your budget and what your goals are. If your budget is really, really tight and you're on a PC, then I would probably recommend you going with a DAW called Reaper. Um, it's the budget friendliest because it's free and it's incredibly powerful and customizable. And it's one of those uh, pieces of software where the more kind of effort you put into it to learn it, um, the more it'll kind of unlock for you. Uh, but the con of all that flexibility and power is that it can have a little bit of a learning curve, uh, but there's a lot of information out there on how to get Reaper to function the way you want it to. So if you're willing to spend a little more time to save some money, then it's perfect. Um, one of the other really good things about Reaper is that it will grow along with you in the sense that if you want to dive more into recording and mixing and production and things like that, it's never going to limit your capabilities. Um, if you are on a Mac and you want to keep things super simple and also free, then you can totally get started recording with GarageBand, um, which uh, you'll be able to get from the App Store on any Mac for free. So um, that's a pretty super simple um, and efficient way to get started with recording. You're not going to be able to do any of the other more advanced like engineering things really. Um, but for recording, it's all you need. Now with just about every other doll, things start to get a little bit more complicated. So uh, pieces of software like Cubase and FL Studio, Studio One, Pro Tools, blah, blah, blah. Um, they all have tiers to their software. And what that means is that there are cheaper limited versions and then there are really expensive versions that come with lots of extra abilities and extra software and options. 
as far as I know, though, uh, FL Studio is the only one that doesn't allow for audio recording and the cheapest tier. So keep that in mind while you're looking at your options. All the other ones, though, will get the job done uh, for recording purposes with the cheapest version. Now, I feel like I'd be cheating you if I didn't give you a little bit of a commercial for Logic, Ableton, and Pro Tools, just because they each have some particular things going for them. Uh, Logic is basically like Pro Garage Band in the sense that it opens up all the professional engineering options and is really optimized for Macs. Um, if you're on a Mac and you find yourself struggling uh, to use some of the other DAWs due to CPU issues, it might be worth trying Logic to see if it runs more smoothly uh, on your computer. Uh, Ableton is special because it's the only DAW that's not only aimed at recording, it's also amazing for live use, uh, for looping, and for music production. There's tons of tools on there that come with Ableton that are pretty unique. Um, so if you want to get into writing music and song production in the near future, or you think you might want to play out live one day, it would be a great idea to get Ableton and learn it. Um, it has a couple of limitations when it comes to routing and mixing, though, so that wouldn't be my first choice if you want to become like a mixing engineer. If you do want to become a professional mixing engineer, though, Pro Tools, on the other hand, um, should probably be first on your list. Um, if you don't want to be a mix engineer, Pro Tools should be last on your list due to the costs and the subscription nonsense. Um, however, if there's a chance you might want to become a pro one day, then it's a very good idea for you to know your way around Pro Tools since, unfortunately, it's still the industry standard. <laughs> So once you have all of the other stuff, you know your way around your doll, you're ready to get recording. Um, if you've made it this far, you hit record, play some bass, and you have a track recorded, then my job here is done. You know everything you need to know. Um, but before I wrap things up, there are a couple of tips that I want to give you that might make your life a little bit easier. The first one is gain staging, which is referring to how much volume to use while you're recording. And I can get a little bit more in the depth on this another day, but to keep it really simple, think of it like a traffic light. So green means go, go ahead, you're good. Yellow means you're okay, but be careful. And red means stop, you're clipping. Uh, in the amp and interface of doll worlds, if something is normally green or blue and then it turns red when you play a note, um, that's almost never a good sign. <laughs> Uh, it's normally an indication of digital clipping, which is something that you really want to avoid because it sounds like ass and you can't fix it later. Uh, some meters or indicators will show you a yellow light to give you a warning that you're near clipping, but you haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, when you're trying to set your gain staging, a really good practice is to play as hard as you're going to possibly play during that track and then set your volume so that the notes that you hit that are your loudest don't clip. If you do that, nine times out of 10, you're gonna get a really nice clean recording with no issues. Now that said, make sure you're still using your ears though. If you hear something distorting while you're tracking or you hear distortion in the recording, just go back and double check any of the gear that you're using to make sure that you're not accidentally distorting somewhere. And speaking of using other gear, the next tip is to only control your volume with non-tonal controls. Um, so that's things like the DI level on your amp or the uh, gain on your interface. So try to avoid changing EQ settings or gain settings on pedals or on your amp 
to get more volume because what you'll end up doing is kind of messing up your tone so things aren't going to sound the way you want them to um you know the worst thing you can do is spend a whole bunch of time to get a tone that you really really love and then you go to record it's too quiet and then you turn up the gain and then the distortion doesn't sound right or you change your eq and then the balance isn't right anymore that's like really really annoying so you definitely want to avoid that at all costs um and another thing that you might want to do is try to get your volume level right as early in the signal chain as possible um so excluding your bass because most people play with their um bass volume all the way up or close to all the way up um if you can get your volume set right um on pedals before they go into the amp that's great if you can get it right on the amp that's great um what you might want to avoid doing is having to turn your interface up really high because once it gets uh towards the upper end of the uh, gain limits you'll probably start to hear a lot of noise so that's not a good thing uh, my last uh, set of tips is for metal and slap players um, this is a two-parter the first part is when it comes to tuning um, you might have to be a little bit more conscious of tuning if you're playing metal or slap than you would with other genres because metal players and slappers are often hitting the strings really hard and that combined with new strings can lead to tuning issues because they keep getting stretched out. So I recommend checking your tuning like every take almost just to be safe. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the fun of recording or the stress of recording if it's not going well uh, and totally miss out on tuning issues. And then you go back and listen to it and then you can tell that, you know, you were out of tune, which again is super stressful. You don't want to deal with that. Um, the second tip is also tuning related. If you're playing with a heavy attack and you're playing a lot of quick notes, when you're tuning up, make sure you tune using the same playing technique that you will use on the track. And the reason I say that is because a heavy attack will often pitch your note up a little bit right at the beginning when you hit it. And if you play using a lighter attack and then you or sorry, if you tune up using a lighter attack, then say, for instance, you're perfectly on pitch then when you go to play the actual track and you're playing with a pick or you know, you're slapping or something like that, at the beginning of each one of your notes, you're gonna be a little bit out of tune. Um, and if you're playing in unison with other instruments, that can be really, really noticeable and cause a lot of problems down the line that are very difficult to fix. So if you still have questions about recording bass at home, uh, let me know down in the comments. Uh, the next episode of the podcast will be focused around the basics of mixing and talking about using DAWs and plugins in a little bit more detail. So hit me up with your questions and I'll make sure to answer them on the next episode if I can. And if you're listening on the podcast uh, platform, uh, check the description for a link to the YouTube channel where I do lots of gear reviews and sound clips and jams and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. Um, and if you'd like to connect outside of YouTube and the podcast, then click on the Discord link so you can come join the discord fam uh, but that's it for this episode i hope you're staying happy and healthy and until the next one take it easy